Hey, welcome back to another episode of A Dose of Grace. Today, I have my friend Ellie with me. Oh my gosh, you're going to learn so much from her. She's awesome. I'm going to pass it on to Ellie by asking her, how in the world did you get into your field in healthcare? Hi, Ellie. Hi. And that is very kind of you. And I was thinking about this and how, you know, at first, I don't know that I considered a psychologist in the same way as in the healthcare industry, but obviously, you know, we are. And Mm -hmm. psychologists do a lot of interactions with healthcare, depending on your specific role. But I think it was in terms of my journey in finding my way towards being a psychologist, it was really my interest in mental health. Mm. Um, And that started when I was in high school. So I went to a high school and had a pretty typical friend group of, you know, some best friends and good friends and then acquaintances and things like that. And so it was actually after one of our kind of friends in our friend group committed suicide that Mm -hmm. I found myself at that time kind of finding my own identity in my own ways at that time and figuring that I really want to, I want to do something in mental health and Mm -hmm. doing my part, whatever it might be and Mm -hmm. seeing that someone doesn't feel that that's their only option or at least being there with people who are going through that. So Mm -hmm. um, that really kind of started my path on wanting to be involved in some way in the mental health field. I wasn't exactly sure. Obviously, I don't think I even knew what psychology was at that point in my upbringing, but that then kind of led me toward thinking about, okay, what kind of roles might I work in mental health? And I kind of looked toward my faith and at church, I was thinking like, oh, maybe I can be involved in the youth group or in some sort of ministry. But then it was actually when I started college that I took my first psychology class. And mm. then it, it was all over from there. <laughs> it was kind of like, <laughs> love, um, it <laughs> love it for sight. Love it for sight. I took Psych 101 mm-hmm. and then followed up with developmental psychology and switched my major. Um, I don't even know that I had declared a major at that point, but then I switched to psychology and And it was really the fascination, not just with mental health at that point, then it became like fascination with research and with other aspects of psychology that were interesting to me. I never considered myself like a sciencey kid. And so I never even pushed that hard in things like Mm -hmm. biology or chemistry, but psychology was this kind of, I was very interested in the brain and Mm -hmm. how the brain was working and found myself being more and more drawn into psychology and research and science. And so mm-hmm. I ended up actually, I guess it was my, it might have been my sophomore junior year, somewhere in between there that I wanted to get involved more in research. And mm-hmm. so people were recommending labs in the area that you could sign up and get some research experience. Mm-hmm. Most of this was volunteer, you know, an undergrad research assistant goes in and you get some experience and then maybe get a letter of recommendation in return right. for, right. you know, your free labor. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there was one, I I heard on the grapevine and the undergrad (laughs) that there was this one lab that would pay you and they would pay basically Mm -hmm. a minimum wage at the time being six bucks an hour or whatever to, you know, it was something for a poor undergrad student. Yeah, that that was great. 
So I went there and this happened to be a sleep lab. Uh So they were doing sleep deprivation studies where they would keep people awake and there were all kinds of studies going on in that lab. It was a lot of fun, but it was also (laughs) basically we were the labor of staying awake overnight with participants who were tasked Mm -hmm. to be staying awake for the research study. So unbeknownst to me, that was all part of the plan because that really did start my love for for sleep and sleep research. And Mm -hmm. so throughout undergrad, I stayed at that same sleep lab Mm -hmm. and actually got a uh, research coordinator position there after I graduated from undergrad, which was kind of a stepping stone toward applying to graduate school and having some, you know, significant research experience in the sleep lab to be able to take that toward a graduate degree. So that's what I did. And I also got to see kind of up close how the super negative effects of Mm -hmm. sleep deprivation. And at the time we were at, this was at the University of Pennsylvania. That's not where I went to undergrad, but that is where I was doing the research at the time. And there had just recently come out a study of residents, mm-hmm. um, medical residents. And I think it was mainly, it might not have been all from UPenn, but kind of nationally or something kind of showing the negative emotional effects of sleep deprivation in medical residents. Yes. And it was kind of a, I think a lot of people were not ha- not so glad to hear about the, I guess this was like early 2000s or something. And now since then, I, you know, there's been a lot more studies uh, showing the negative effects of sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. Even in, in medical residents, our studies at the time were actually funded by NASA wow. um, and the Department of Defense because they were like, okay, like mm-hmm. astronauts, military, they're probably, yeah. they're experiencing a lack of sleep deprivation. What's going to happen to them? Yeah. So, so that's what we were getting to, to do a lot of research in. And that, that was very fascinating to me. But at the same time, I was like, you know... <laughs> I, I see that that's a problem, but I bet there's, there's still a lot of people out there who, who don't, who, who like would hear this information and find it more anxiety provoking Mm. because it's actually, okay. So there's all these bad things that can happen to my brain and my body Mm. if I'm not sleeping, but what if I just can't sleep like that, that it's a problem for me that I'm experiencing insomnia. And so that was more my focus in applying to graduate school was wanting to, to end up right, to have clinical training, to be able to help people who are experiencing sleep difficulties. So Mm -hmm. that really became my focus. And I, I was very fortunate to go to a graduate school where my, my mentor was, that was her goal too. She was studying insomnia and kind of cognitive and behavioral treatments for chronic insomnia. And so that's what I was able to be trained in and is really a big part of what I practice now. Mm, That is just so fascinating. Until I met you, I didn't (laughs) know there was this, you know, other division of psychology. You know, most Mm -hmm. people think psychologist, you lay on the couch and you tell people your feelings (laughs) and it's, it's just so much more than that. Yeah. Cool story. I I love it. So I'm just going to segue right into a particularly meaningful or Mm -hmm. inspiring story that you'd like to share with our listening audience. Sure. Well, I, you know, it's, it's tough to think of just one, like a hundred, I'm sure, you know, but I'm, 
you know, I've been thinking about patients that I've worked with who really felt, you know, I am, I am at the mercy of my sleep. I'm at the mercy of my emotions. Mm. I'm at the mercy of, you know, my situation. Mm. And, and that's really, I think a big part of what, what I do and, and the, and the way I train. So I'm, I'm also, although I am a practicing psychologist that is part-time, but I do also, um, teach in a PhD program now. So training future psychologists. Right. And, and so I do also do some supervision and that's a big part of what I try to do in supervision and teaching is to say, we're, we're instilling hope, you know, that you are not at the mercy of your emotions or Mm. at the mercy of when your mind decides to drift off to sleep. Mm. We are there to provide tools and Mm. to provide some guidance on how, how to, how to help, like how to help you uh, feel in more control of your sleep and your emotions. So I think what really, you know, I, I can think of a few patients where, where that was the case, where kind of coming into treatment, feeling totally out of control, like there's just no way mm-hmm. um, that I'm going to be able to feel better. And I'm thinking of one teen in particular, who it was her first year of college, you know, had a pretty typical schedule in many ways, like, you know, doing homework in bed, trying to like kind of somewhat procrastinating through the day, not doing much homework. And then around like 10 PM feeling like, okay, now I got to do my work and doing that in bed and then maybe working until 2 AM and then feeling wound up because now you've done all this work in your bed and now you need to actually wind down. And so would fall asleep with her phone watching shows, but sometimes the phone, I I remember she would tell me it would fall on her or it would wake her up again, or the shows would end even sometimes it would end and she'd be more anxious that she was still awake. Mm. So it was kind of that backfiring of the, oh no, Netflix has already turned the shows off and I'm still awake and my mind hasn't been able to wind down. And then as a result, feeling just very out of control during the day as well. Waking up, rushing the classes, often missing her 10 a.m. classes or whatever it was, and just feeling very overwhelmed. And as a result was then starting to feel more and more depressed and more, Mm. more anxious about this kind of cycle of poor sleep, poor daytime uh, schedule, then increased stress, increased emotion. Yeah, it, it was really snowballing. And when she came to me, I would describe her as having some suicidal thoughts, not so much that she, you know, wanted to act on them. There was no intent or plan, but just feeling it would be just easier if it was all, all gone and all done, or that I just didn't have to deal with this. If I could just fall asleep and not wake up. Um, So it was really, yeah, it was really getting to that point. So really feeling like Mm. I have no control over this. Mm -hmm. My mind you know, won't wind down at night. And so there's nothing I can do. And so she actually had signed up for one of our research studies. And so the way the research study was designed was four to eight sessions of treatment just for your sleep. And so, and and we had told her, you know, you're a little more depressed. So we do offer some follow-up treatment. And so you might want to take us up on that. And Interesting enough. Yes. The first couple of sessions, she came in feeling pretty hopeless and pretty much like, this is not going to help me. This is not going to work. But over time, just kind of saying, let's make one small change. And actually, you know, the first change we made was to stop snoozing, um, to stop using 
the snooze button mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because that was kind of this perpetual mm -hmm. shortchanging herself, honestly. Like right. that's what snooze does. You actually just lose that sleep because mm -hmm. you kind of chop up into eight minute increments mm -hmm. the last however long you spend snoozing. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, so it's actually torture, like you just mm -hmm. torture yourself every morning. So we stopped that and that automatically gave her an extra half hour of sleep every mm -hmm. single morning because mm -hmm. we just said, set it for the last possible time. Mm -hmm. And then, and then we go from there. So already we gave her for the five day work week that ended up being two and a half hours extra sleep per week. Wow. Wow. So if you think about it, it really adds up. I think what was actually more, more than getting that two and a half hours per week was actually the, oh, I can make one small change. I can yeah. do this and it can make a real impact and I can actually feel better. Mm -hmm. And so from then, from that point on, it actually, and this is a pretty typical pattern I've found with a lot of people I've worked with in similar situations that once you kind of get that momentum going of something like a very small change, like I said, you know, just stopping snooze, mm -hmm. it, it might seem insurmountable in conjunction mm -hmm. with other things, but yeah. when you actually just do that one small thing, it can make a huge difference. And then, and then the other things can start to fall into place. So then it was kind of figuring out, okay, when are you going to do your homework? Mm -hmm. Let's, let's not do it at midnight. All right. Um, let's try to find some other times during the day, you know, kind of rescheduling, retooling. And then, and then honestly, you know, usually it's that those last couple of sessions where we're like, okay, and now we need to deal with these thoughts mm -hmm. that are like coming at you <laughs> right yeah. at night Yes. and kind of starting to overwhelm. And that's, um, you know, a big, usually a big part of the treatment too, is kind of how to challenge some of those thoughts, but also how to deal with them during the day so that they're not kind of coming down on you right at night, which right for most of us is the first quiet moment of the day. Mm -hmm. So they kind of do have to be dealt with at a different time yeah. other than that. So, and so ultimately what happened with her, we got to about session six or so, mm -hmm. and she, she was feeling better. She was sleeping better. Wow. She was no longer having suicidal thoughts and was just feeling much more like, okay, I, I actually can handle this. And so she ended up not needing additional treatment at that point, because after, right after that time and after sleeping better and kind of had, feeling like she had more control mm -hmm. um, over things was really feeling like she, she could go from there. So, so do you think the sleep deprivation is connected to suicidal ideation is that mm -hmm. typical? Yes. And actually there's a lot of research now mm -hmm. on that link. You know, I actually did publish a paper uh, while I was working at Montefiore actually in one of their clinics there. Mm -hmm. And this has now been shown in multiple places that there's a pretty strong link between sleep difficulties, sleep mm -hmm. deprivation and, mm -hmm. and suicidal ideation, and actually even completed suicide oh. that increased kind of insomnia slash difficulty with sleep, sleep deprivation is often present before suicide. So it, it is a problem. <laughs> it is definitely, I had no idea. Um, the yeah. Wow. You're doing such amazing work and it's this simple thing. Not so simple because people who have difficulty sleeping, it's maddening because mm -hmm. you just feel like you said, enslaved. Right. Not being right. able to sleep. And then, you know, this perpetual cycle of not sleeping, wanting to sleep. And the more you want to sleep that you can't sleep, 
having done 11 years of night shift, mm -hmm. I've had a lot of dysfunctional sleep. Thank God it's been mm -hmm. many years since I've done nights, but yeah, I'd sleep four hours during the day and that would be it. And then I would work all night. Yeah. And yeah. I had health issues. I eventually got off nights, went to days and I also only slept four hours when I worked during the day because I was in grad school. And yeah, I, yeah. I started with palpitations. I had acid reflux. I had all yeah. kinds. Of, and can I tell you, as soon as I started sleeping better, all gone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, yeah. it's something we, we don't pay as much attention to until it's a problem and yeah. until it's become a, a real issue. But, oh. but yeah, I know that that's typical for a lot of people in healthcare, especially nurses who are kind of and being on night shift, but then having some daytime trainings or things like that. Really, it should just be consistent, like yes. keep the night shift, keep, keep the day shift, whatever consistency is usually better. But that's what's so hard is that, you know, the systems families. aren't designed for that, right? Or you have families or you yes. have other responsibilities during the day right. that really makes it hard to work around. Yeah, so. you work feeling like you're in jet lag all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. So hard. And there's not much we can do about it. You know, healthcare is a 24, seven, three, six thing, you know, yeah. there could be other supports in there. So I will put a plug there that there, you know, if, okay. if sleep was prioritized more and able to kind of, yeah, I mean, not that I have vast knowledge of how, healthcare systems are run, but I do yeah. think that at least acknowledging that sleep's important would be, yes. would be a great start. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah. I think, um, many nurses would love to invite you to mm. <laughs> speak to their units and, and their leadership. I can imagine. Wow. I literally could listen to you for hours. <laughs> Just so fascinating to me. I mean, we've been friends for a while, but we really have never gone never into talked about sleep. Mm -hmm. I mean, not to this degree. And I know that some friends of ours who have young children, mm. not being able to sleep and night terrors and stuff. So yeah. I know people tap you for those kinds of freebies. <laughs> oh yeah. No, but the thing is, I actually love, I, I love that. I love talking yeah. about that. Mm. And sometimes, in, and I mentioned this to you before that although changing sleep is hard, it is hard. It takes discipline. It takes work. Yes. The solutions usually are simple. So it is something like stopping snoozing. That's hard to do on a daily basis when it comes to the morning and the, you know, alarm goes off, you want to hit snooze. That's hard, but yeah. it is also a simple solution that says I can give you two and a half hours back into your work week by, you know, stopping something like that. So, so yeah, it is working with people to see what are some of those patterns mm -hmm. or what are some of those thoughts that are keeping you awake or what is mm -hmm. the perspective that, that you're taking toward your sleep that is robbing you. Mm -hmm. And also you didn't say it, but intimated that not to do homework, like the, the right. in bed. So bed is for sleeping, nothing that else. Is, right. Well, and sex. Yes. And sex. <laughs> and of, course, it. of course. And that's it. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of times people just kind of linger in bed to do many other things. Right. Which then, you know. Right. And, and it kind of confuses your body. That's mm -hmm. a big part of it is to say, yeah. like, what am I doing here? Am yeah. I sleeping? Am yeah. I working? Am <laughs> I, you know, scrolling on Instagram or whatever it might be? That's yeah. that's going to make it hard for your body to say, oh, no, this is the place where I sleep. 
Right, right. And I'm sure it's been tough during the pandemic when mm-hmm. people don't have space otherwise. Right. 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 In bed. right. Um, and that, you know, sometimes I have worked with people where, right, it's your dorm room. You, mm-hmm. There's nowhere else. So mm-hmm. kind of figuring out like, okay, can you set up like a, like a spot at this foot of your bed where you sit and do work or do, you know, do the other things. And then at least like designating, okay, there is a difference here. There's mm-hmm. something I've done. I've done, I've, I have a bedtime routine. We mm-hmm. all need a bedtime routine. It's yeah. not just something for kids. It actually <laughs> is something for everyone mm-hmm. that helps you to actually differentiate between mm-hmm. what I do during the day and what I do uh, to get ready for the night. Mm-hmm. We could all benefit, especially in healthcare, learning more about that. We're terrible in healthcare in terms of actually doing what we tell other people to do. (laughs) We are very hypocritical for sure. So the last question I have for you is how do you stay resilient? I know you have two young kids Mm -hmm. and you have a very busy schedule between teaching, private clients, doing the supervision Mm -hmm. and you know, doing ad hoc consultations with friends. <laughs> um, what do you do to take care of yourself and stay resilient? Well, personally, I do think it's extremely important to stay connected and have friends that you can be honest with yeah. and tell them like you are for me. And like many, you know, have other people who you can say, this is what I'm struggling with. This is mm-hmm. where I'm at and staying connected. I can see there's a big difference when I'm isolating and going into busy mode and not really letting other things come in. And then also, I really do think it's important just professionally to have things that you are really passionate about and interested in. I've kind of learned the hard way that I say no to things that are going to be a burden on my time, even if it might be appealing financially, or if it's going to be really tedious work that might take away from some of the other interesting work, even research. You know, I don't get generally, I don't get paid for doing some of the research I do, but it is important to me and to making sure that that's continuing or, you know, having really interesting patients where I know that I can help them and where I know that seeing someone sleeping better can be a huge motivator in staying resilient. So making sure you're connected, connecting with people and seeing them through the difficulties and struggles. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming that you sleep like a rock. So you actually <laughs> do practice what you preach. I do. And at the same time, I tell people this all of the time. It, it's normal to have a bad night of sleep. Mm-hmm. It is normal. And that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It just uh-huh. means everyone has bad nights of sleep. I do sleep pretty well and I do prioritize it for sure. And, and there are still bad nights. So I can still empathize with anybody who is going mm-hmm. through that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Ellie, thank you so, so much for uh, agreeing to be on the podcast. I know we've talked about it and you have such a busy schedule and we're taping this after (laughs) the boys are in bed so that (laughs) you you had a quiet moment. Just to be fair, it's about 10 minutes to 10 p.m. Almost bedtime. It's bedtime, (laughs) baby. Yeah. And honestly, just being around you and your peaceful self and things that you've shared with me and taught me, I've begun to make sleep a priority. And now it's usually seven, seven and a half hours a day, unheard of. So thank you for being a part of 
my health. And that when we think health, we think exercise and eating, but we really never talk about sleep. Mm. And that should be the trifecta for health, right? It is. It definitely is. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Good night. Thanks, Grace. <laughs> sleep tight. Just a